But uh, I, wow, I feel like I'm really loud. <laughs> yeah, typically we have a testimony, but um, the family that was supposed to give the testimony all got sick, so none of them are here. And I asked around like 20 people, and everybody said, I need time to prepare, which is definitely understandable. So next week, all 20 of you are going to give your testimony. <laughs> Every single one of you I asked are up on deck for next Sunday. Um, just kidding. Which means I get to teach a little bit more today, which is always fun for me. And maybe we'll have a little bit more time also afterwards to do some of our planning and, you know, just getting ready for um, upcoming preview service and stuff. So um, let's get into the Word and let's do some teaching. And, you know, even if we have time, where's Bobby? If we have time, we can even do maybe, maybe a little bit more music, a little bit more worship at the end even prayer. So this is good. All right. So we're looking at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 today. So please turn your Bibles. This is just perfect, my friend. Acts chapter 10. And um, it's a long, it's a long passage. um, 48 verses long, actually. And one of the things that students of the Bible, um, especially those students of the Bible who are not believers, um, such things exist, um, they will critique Scripture, especially when they read like the Gospels, um, because it sounds more like, a, you know, you have these stories that sound more like ancient myths or something that sounds like it's just a, It's just a story that got passed on. The thing about Acts chapter 10 and all 48 verses, it's very heavily detailed. And for that matter, you have a lot of sentences, a lot of things that are repeated um, almost three times. Even next week when we get to Acts chapter 11, some of the story is going to get repeated again. Um, All to say that I think what we're reading here is more than just a, you can't dismiss this as just a story or just as an ancient saying, it, it almost sounds more like a, an, eyewitness, an eyewitness account. It almost sounds like a, in a, a court of law, what do you call that, like a testimony. So it sounds almost like record, historical record, a lot of details, the time of day this happened, names of people, um, descriptions of these people, and going into these long 48 verses, just keep in mind that, A, it's very long, um, And the reason I'm preaching all 48 is because it's one coherent whole. It's one story. And B, um, it's it's very detailed. It's very detailed. It has this sense of almost a historical eyewitness record. So let's look at Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 48. And let's read the first 10 verses together. And then we'll pause. And then um, I'll keep reading after that. So the first 10 verses together in a loud voice, please help me out here. Here we go. Verse 1. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. So ninth hour is about 3 p.m. 
Continuing, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. For he is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. So you can see a lot of details. You want to go, this Simon, you want to see this Simon's thing at that Simon's house by the sea. Verse 7, when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his sermons, servants, pardon me, and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. So we'll pause there. So the sixth hour of the day, Peter goes on the rooftop to pray. This is about noontime, so no wonder he's hungry. And um, um, this was one of those set hours of the day that Jews prayed, and Christians today as well. Uh, and then he has this trance. It says in verse 10, he has a trance. And the, the Greek word there is, is ecstasis or ecstasy. So if any of you come from a Catholic background, you might have heard of, like, you know, some of the old saints would, would have an ecstasy, um, or they would be pierced with a stigmata, or they would have a vision. So this is where that comes from, the ecstasy. He's in an ecstasy, um, and he's having visions. So I'll continue on here on my own. Verse 11, And Peter saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground, and there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures, uh, creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Or it can also be translated, sacrifice and eat. The thing is, the animals that were in this sheep, um, one of the words there can be translated reptile. These were not kosher. These were not the type of animals and food that Jews were allowed to eat. They were considered unclean. And so Peter says, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time. Now listen to this. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Now, how many of you think that we're talking about food today? Because <laughs> we're not. It's... It's a parallel here, I think, talking about race and ethnicity. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Sometimes we'll look at the kids on the other side of the tracks, or we'll look at those people down the street. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This is a revolutionary statement. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Peter House, appear at the gate, and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was all, also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason you've, which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion righteous and God-fearing, well-spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel, to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. 
On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent for me. Pause right there. So just a quick recap. You have two visions. A man named Cornelius in Caesarea. Cornelius, not Jewish, being Italian, has a vision. And then you have Peter staying in, I believe it's Joppa. Is that correct? Peter having a vision. And the visions bring them together. And this, this, uh, this connection where Cornelius and Peter led by visions, led together, and this is what happens. So verse 30, if we could read all the way to the rest, to, to 40, 48, all together, and just finish this out. All together now, verse 30. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold... A man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Hang with, hang with me here a little bit longer. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people, solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Thank you for bearing with me for a very long passage. Um, a long passage because it's all coherent. It's one story. Let's pray. Close your eyes with me and let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to descend upon us. And we ask you now, God, Holy Spirit, Son, 
um, make these words come alive. These words are alive. As we hear with our ears, understand with our mind, and are transformed in our lives, in our hearts, and then change our behavior with our hands. May your word absorb, may the teaching change us and make us new people that you've called us to be. Give us the power that we need to live transformed, holy lives today and in this week to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I'm going to put in a disclaimer before I go any further in my message today. Um, those of you that know me, actually I just finished my fourth year here in Houston. Um, starting my fifth year, this is my home, I love it here. Before I lived here, I lived 11 years in Seattle. And if you know anything about Seattle, it's a very kind of progressive place. It's a very kind of, you know, you know fight the power kind of um, um, it's, let's just say it's very progressive. And so as I approach this passage, um, I want to make sure I don't bring too much of Seattle with me into it. Um, now, you know, I want to make sure that I don't come in too much with the deconstructing lens is what I'm saying. Um, it's easy, I think, sometimes um, when you have a message to come across too political or talking too much about sociology. Um, when it's necessary to get into the text and be able to speak to all people. This is very important. Um, especially this week, there have, there's been stuff that has been going on in our nation that's been pretty serious. And it behooves me um, to talk about that. And I want to talk about it not in a way that kind of divides or, you know, if I take a certain political or sociological angle you know, if I speak from the left or the right, I'm, it, it, it's, ten, it's, gonna, it's inevitably going to divide. And what I want to do is look at this passage, which is undoubtedly about race and ethnicity. It's timely. And I want to look at this passage, and I want to talk not around the problem, as so often we do, but get to the heart of the issue, which is the breakdown of relationship. Because behind every ism, this is in your notes. Behind every ism, whether it's racism or classism or existentialism, there's some kind of breakdown in relationship. There's some kind of breakdown in relationship. So what I want to do is not so much talk so much about racism or classism. or ex I want to talk about relationship because that's going to apply to everybody. And whether the race issue applies to you or not, the relationship thing will. That's what I want to hone in on with a fine-tooth comb. The relationship. And so I'm going to talk about two things, two headings. The first, you can find this in your three hole punch notes, is people movements. And second is the benefits of difference. In the first half, I'm going to talk about Peter. I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about Cornelius. And in the second half, I'm going to talk about Peter. So first, people movements, especially this man Cornelius. And second, the benefits of difference, talking about Peter. Peter's experience of Cornelius. So we begin with that first heading, the people movements, and let's really hone in on this guy named Cornelius. Who was Cornelius? Any, um, anybody remember? Any details about Cornelius? He was a centurion. So a Roman centurion was somebody that was in charge of 100 soldiers. So Ethan, what's the um, American, um, the American parallel of a, you know, commander of a hundred soldiers. 
that a captain? <laughs> so he was a captain. He was a, he was a centurion, centurion of a hundred soldiers and a leader of a hundred soldiers. And one historian says, if you were a centurion at that time, you, you were, you know, uh, you know, so the historian Polybius, he says, they were not seekers of adventure, but they were men who can command. They were ready in action. They were reliable. So this is a really dependable guy. And you get this picture of a man who is dependable, who knows how to lead people, and at the same time, very devout. He's, he's a holy guy. He's living in Caesarea. It says he's from Italy, and we'll talk more about that. And I think this is interesting because Cornelius has this vision, and from this vision, he, he's, he says, I, I've had this vision. I'm going to have this guy Peter come over. So he begins to invite all of, you know, he says, Mom, Dad, you're coming, uncles, aunts, he brings all of his nephews, all of his nieces, and they gather together um, in order to hear Peter. Um, Cornelius is somebody that I'm going to call a person of peace. And that's the fill in the blank in your bulletin. The first fill in the blank is look for the person of peace. So we're teaching here today. We're talking about for you as missionaries. Don't look at me. I'm not the only one. For all of you as missionaries, a core team uh, one of the things that I learned and I was equipped is to look for the person of peace in a community. Um, when I used to go on mission trips, many times it was almost easy to target that one vul vulnerable loner, you know, maybe the college student who was all by himself and, um, you know, you would preach Jesus to him until, you know, he had no choice but to come to church with you. Um, but... One of the things that, that I've also learned is to look for a person of peace. Why do you look for a person of peace? Because the person of peace, when they convert, they don't come to Christian, they don't come to the church by themselves, alone. They often tend to bring entire groups of people with them. In this case, Cornelius, a person of peace, bringing, you know, an entire clan together with him. It reminds me a lot of my own father, that when my father... Um, immigrated to the United States. First, it was just my family, but then after that, he brought all six of his brothers and sisters with him, and then he brought his parents and all their wives and husbands and all their children, and you get the sense of somebody that's bringing an entire clan. So a person of peace is a connected individual. So I'll say this again. Look for the person of peace. As you share, do you have a friend that is connected that comes not alone, but that comes with with, with, with their whole family or that comes connected with a lot of people. Um, some of you, even here, I'm not going to say who, some of you are persons of peace as well. You don't tend to come to a party by yourself. You tend to come with a carload of people. Well, some of you, like me, <laughs> are not like persons of peace. You're more, I, you know, I am, I tend to be more of the kind of isolated, introverted individual. You know, I, I came to faith at first alone. So don't be offended if you don't identify with that. But the person of peace is an important person in a community. And this is the second fill in the blank. Persons of peace start people movements. Persons of peace start people movements. These are the people 
that when they bring their entire household to faith or when they come with a carload of people to a party, um, it's, it's not just a one-person thing, but they start a movement. And so in mission, this is an important principle. Right here, right here you know, in the suburbs of West Houston, um, scratch that, just in Houston in general, um, When you find that person that comes and is able to be a spark plug for a movement, this is a good thing for the church. So we've had one preview service so far. We're going to have two or three more. And just something to keep in mind, just something to keep in mind with each person that you invite. Is this a loner or is this, is this a connected individual? Now, mind you, again, don't be offended at the loner thing. I identify with the loner thing as well. But... Um, just keep in mind, is this a connected person that I am inviting, a person that is connected to networks, somebody that, you know, like I told you about my father, that tends to bring an entire clan with them. What we have in Cornelius is somebody that is connected. He does not, you know, you see Peter coming up into the front door talking with Cornelius, and maybe he's thinking that they're going to sit down with a, a cappuccino, you know, he's Italian after all, and they're going to sit down and have this kind of one-on-one -on -one Jesus conversation, but then the door opens and there's like 50 people there, and Peter all of a sudden realizes that he's starting church. He's starting a church. That's why Cornelius is important. When Peter arrives on the scene, he's not having one conversion happening. What he's having is ready-made church. He's having ready-made church, and that's why persons of peace and people move. Persons of peace are important for starting people movements. So um, I think one of the reasons why we have so much information about Cornelius is because in the historical record, he must have been an important person in the early church. In the early church, especially in Caesarea, in that city, Cornelius may have been remembered as maybe a, a father figure or as an important person, one of the leaders one of the leaders of that early church in Caesarea. So, again, um, you know, uh, can't say enough about Cornelius. A lot is mentioned about him um, because I think he's a prominent figure. He's a prominent figure for that, for that church in Caesarea. And some of you, some of you are persons of peace. Some of you know persons of peace. And here's where I want to launch into the second thing about Cornelius. Um, it says that Cornelius was an Italian. He was of the Italian cohort. Um, when you look at verse 35 and verse 45, just look there briefly. Verse 35, it says, But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And that word nation there, just hold that thought, nation. And then later in verse 45, it says, the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. Nation, Gentiles. And I want to highlight this. Um, there's a word there that I think is worth teaching. Um, and that word, that, it's a Greek word, but it's not, you can even spell it out. It's E-T-H-N-O-S, ethnos. E-T-H-N-O-S, ethnos. And I teach you that word, not, um, you know, not because it's more information, but I mean, it, it, has, it sounds like the English word ethnic. Ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnic or ethnicities. And um, 
That word used here, it's translated nation, Gentiles, subtly different, probably because of the context, but specifically speaking about ethnicities, specifically speaking about ethnic people. And I think that this is an important distinction to make. It's important because um, when we think about all of us and our identity, one of the common denominators that unites us is that we are American, correct? So being American, um, this, is, this is a distinction. You know, if they spoke in the scripture about all, you know, all nations, being American, you are one people. But the thing is, for me, I can never fully comfortably say I'm just American because that will be turning my back on another part of my identity. So I, I have to say, I always have to put in that qualifier in the front, I am Korean-American. Because, you know, I'll, I'll start off the day with coffee and a donut and then finish my day with, like, kimchi breath. I, I cannot turn my back on that part of my identity. I am Korean and I am American. In some ways, a hybrid. And that ethnic, that ethnic distinction is important. It's an important distinction um, because in this day and age, being American as our unifying identity sometimes needs some of those qualifiers. It sometimes needs a deeper story to be told. Let me give you an example. When I was a younger man, um, I once got into an altercation, quote-unquote. And um, I was in a Denny's restaurant, kind of out in the sticks, and this was in the in backwoods of Seattle. And there were a couple of guys in the restaurant, and they were all white. And they were having a, a good time, and they were young guys, any young guys, whatever ethnicity, you know, we tend to be raucous and rowdy. But then they leaned over to my table, and there were about four of us, and they, they started asking us questions about the Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi and, and you, know, you know, making the noises and, and doing all these things. And, and um, these were big guys. Like, um, there were like 12 of them, it seemed. And there were four of us you know, stereotypically thin, small Asian guys. But I was pretty ticked off and ticked off enough to follow them outside um, to the front of the Denny's, <laughs> standing there like the sentinel, like I was going to do something. And the thing is, when I saw them, you know, now you must forgive me here, right? But let's, let's talk about some of these things, about, 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 um, about identity and, and some of these nuances. Um, when I saw them, and I saw them going to this very big pickup truck with very large wheels, in my mind, I immediately said, redneck. Now, to me, they were calling me a chink. But when I stood outside, and they came up to me, and we started talking, lo and behold, I discovered that they were actually Ukrainian, Russian-speaking Ukrainian-American immigrants living in the United States, living in Seattle. They were Ukrainian. Now, if I really wanted to offend them, I could have said, Ukrainian, Russian, what's the difference? Same thing. Then they would have really gotten mad. But they were Ukrainian immigrants. They were speaking Russian. And they thought that I was Chinese, Japanese, Korean, all the same thing, right? And it was like I had this little lesson that I learned from there. A, that it's a lot more, more than meets the eye. And B, um, I just walked away really confused. Like, what just happened? 
What just happened? Um, you know, when you live on your street and you smell the cooking that comes down the street wafting in through your windows, and what is that, right? And we see all the people that live there, I mean, by citizenship American, and yet all the nuances and all the, all the different ethnicities there, um, recognizing these nuances is the beginning is the beginning to an, a larger way of opening our hearts. Recognizing some of these nuances and not kind of just seeing things and, and polarized. And that, I think, is the problem with Ferguson right now is we're talking past each other and we're not connecting. And, and for those of you, you know, forgive me if you're not married, but for those of you that are married, you know that that doesn't get anywhere where you're talking past each other, but you're not meeting, you're not listening. That sometimes it takes me working on my side of the road to just zip my mouth, zip my trap, and listen, and empathize. Validate the hurt, not the behavior. If you say, why are you behaving that way, then the other person's going to get defensive, and then the conversation ends. All you're going to do is talk past each other continually. But if we empathize and listen, validate the hurt, but we don't have to validate the behavior. What happens is the beginning of a relationship beginning of a relationship. How does this connect back to Cornelius? Peter comes onto the scene and he says, you know, I'm not supposed to eat with y'all. Cornelius said, tech with you then, you know. End of, the, end of the story. You know, you Jews are always treating us this way. We moved into this place. We're worshiping your God. But instead of that, there is the beginning of an opening and a beginning of listening to each other, both sides. And as they listen to each other, there, this nuance of ethnicity, um, the nuance uh, I think it opens the door to a relationship. So as I wrap up this first part about people movements, you have Cornelius, a person of peace, and the opportunity to start something dynamic, something big, a people movement, a new church. And for that church to be birthed required the sensitivity, the racial sensitivity on the part of Peter. And Peter's racial sensitivity and his ability to be nuanced in his understanding, I think, is what allowed this church to come up and to be free. And so the relationship piece in all of this is just to be sensitive, to listen, um, and most importantly, as I said, validate the hurt, not the behavior. Validate and empathize with the hurt, not with the behavior. That and you see, that doesn't, that, that's not sociology. That's counseling more than anything. That speaks not only to race relations, it speaks to friend relationships. It speaks to marriage. It speaks to just relationship in general. Validate the hurt, not the behavior. Listen and empathize. And let's find a way where we can speak like this rather than speaking past one another. Because you don't know what can happen. By listening to another person and to their hurt, what, what could potentially happen is a people movement. What could potentially happen is something just blowing up, you know, walking in and all of a sudden the entire clan is there and you have instant church. Instant church. Cornelius, one of the leaders of the first church in Caesarea. So, right? Close out that first heading. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Just need to read this. What does God say to Abraham? He says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. 
those of you who in some ways also are heirs of that promise, can I say to you, in you, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed? I'm going to say that again. Think about your neighborhood, various diverse friends that you have, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that has a way of changing our attitude towards our neighbors. It really does. It has a way of changing our attitude towards our neighbors. So, second heading, the benefits of difference. The benefits of difference, and we're going to look at Peter and his perspective. So, you have Cornelius has this vision, gathers the entire, entire clan of Romans or Italians in his house, and they're all there, and Peter shows up, and all of a sudden he realizes that he's about to, he's about to open the doors for a non-Jewish church to rise up. How does he deal with that? It says in verse 20, God tells Peter, accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. I've sent you to them. So Peter is ready and able to have this encounter because he's told by God, go without misgivings. Go without misgivings. Now there's a word there. And I want to sit on that word without misgivings um, for a few minutes because I, I thought it was notable enough, this word was noticeable enough to, to, to teach on it a little bit, to preach on it a little bit because um, that word misgivings, the, the Greek word behind there, uh, diakrino, diakrino. That word diakrino, it's not on the test so you don't need to remember this, but I, I bring this up because it comes up again and again at various parts. When you look at 11 verses 2, it talks about that that word is used, but it's translated to take issue. To take issue with somebody. In chapter 15 of Acts, that word is translated to make a distinction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that word diacrino is translated to talk about superior. Don't, don't consider yourself superior. So how, do, how is it that you have this one word, but it's translated with such a broad range? It's talking about superiority. It's talking about dis distinction, about taking issue. Even right here in verse, in verse 20, you know, depending on the translation, it'll get translated misgivings. Don't have any misgivings. Don't, 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 don't have any hesitation. Um, don't, don't doubt anything. And so when I studied this word, what does this word really mean? It's translated so many different ways. It's almost like the translator's fumbling for the right word. And I think, as I study this carefully, I think what we're looking at is the sense. This word, diacrino, what it's basically saying is when you go with them, don't segregate yourself. Don't make, don't make in your heart a difference. Don't discriminate. Now, again, I said I'm not going to preach sociology today. But this word does, in a sense, have the sense of don't discriminate against them. Don't segregate with them. After all, that's what the Jews, that's what he did. Before this, you know, he says, you know that the Jews were not allowed to eat with Gentiles. Now, mind you, segregation back then was very different from what it was in America today or even in the civil, uh, civil rights movement. It was a different thing. 
But still, there was a, real, a very real dimension of segregation where you had the Jews separating themselves from the non-Jews. And now God is saying, don't segregate. Don't discriminate. Make this leap and accompany them and take away the difference. That's the word that I want to land on. Difference. Don't stand on the difference. When we segregate, what are we doing? We're highlighting the differences between you and me. When we discriminate, essentially what is discrimination? Even if we're not talking about race, to discriminate is to be discriminate or indiscriminate. To discriminate is to make a separation, to see the differences. What he is told here is don't look at the differences, and that's the first benefit of difference. Through difference, we are matured. God matures us through difference. As I've said before, if we are a church and we're all alike, then what happens is when a person that comes in is different, we tend to see the differences. But when we have a church of diversity, what happens is we tend to see that which unites us. Focusing in on the differences, um, I mean, first of all, they're there. They're there. The multi-ethnic church, it really starts out as an ideal. And then it becomes a hard thing. Those, of, those, of, those who have shown the way to me further down the road, they say, you know, it's, at first we have this ideal, we're going to be a multi-ethnic church, we're going to be diverse. But when we actually get to the place where we're multi-ethnic and diverse, there actually are real tensions. There are discomforts. When a church is truly multi-ethnic, it is harder than we think. But I'll tell you this, I would prefer to have a church that's struggling with those kind of problems than a church that is homogenous, that is kind of struggling with inward, insular problems that are kind of hung up over, you know, Korean things. I would rather have a church that is wrestling with the differences the ethnic differences, the cultural differences. I'd rather have us, if we're going to wrestle through things, I'd rather have us wrestle with those things than kind of the old kind of Asianisms that, you know, it's, you know, um, can tend to be insular and inward. Because when we're wrestling with inward, insular problems, we just become inward and insular. When we wrestle with Problems of difference or challenges, let me use that word instead, challenges of difference, actually we grow. We grow. We come to the conclusion that later on, I mean, honestly, there was some conflict after this. There was some serious conflict. Peter would go back to Jerusalem. You know, he didn't wire up to Jerusalem, send a telegram or, you know, call on the cell phone. Hey, HQ, can I baptize these guys? He does this, and he just does it on the spot. It's kind of, you know, you didn't check in with the council. You didn't do this the right way, and he gets some heat for it. But through this difference, even the people back in Jerusalem, back at HQ, they get matured. We all get matured. They get matured. They say, wow, well, I guess God has even brought salvation to the Gentiles. So what I'm saying is when we grow, when we have difference, differences, that's the pathway for us to grow through maturity. Maturity comes through difference. And that's the first, ben that's the first benefit. It's the most, fertile, the most fertile growth grounds. 
are in these places of difference and differentness. The second benefit, the second benefit is this. You look at verse 44, 45, and 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening. And the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. The second benefit is a second Pentecost. And repeatedly, Peter uses the words here and, and in the next chapter. He says, what ha- look, listen to me. Listen, what happened to us also happened to them. What's happening to them also happened. It, what happened to us is also happening to them. That's the Holy Spirit right there. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit came in and tongues of fire rested on their, you know, I'm sorry. They were speaking with tongues in other languages. What happened with us also happened with them. So that the day will come, my prayer is that for those of us who came out of a Korean church, started predominantly Korean, are beginning to see that this church is no longer our church. It's no longer my church. But it's starting to belong to people that are not like us. And let me teach here a little bit. It's going to make you uncomfortable. And it's also going to be a maturing, a good thing. I'll say that one more time. For those of us that came out from a Korean context and started out, this was my church, but then as the church, all of a sudden, or in time, we see that it's no longer just my thing or our thing. It's going to be maturing as we see different, different kinds of people. And we have to come to the conclusion, well, God gives them grace just as much as he gives to us. God gives them grace just as much as he gives to us as well. The question is, will we become missionaries to what God is doing? Are we going to facilitate a new Pentecost for newer people? Are we going to be the, you know, the missionaries to usher in God's Holy Spirit to come in people's lives? You know, um, um, I'll close off with this thought. The more the longer we plant this church we're in now, is this the fifth month? We started July 20th, August, September, October, November. We're getting into our fifth month. I am finding personally that the less that this is mine, the better it is. And I'm finding personally the less that this is the way I thought it would be, the more fun it really is. And core team, that goes for you as well. That as this church, you know, as this church grows and as we discover that the less that it's ours and the more it's the Holy Spirit's and it moves where it moves and it, God sends who he sends. You know, when I'm with other pastors who are planting similar churches, especially for those that are Korean-American, you know, they, they always talk about how, you know, God would send them this group of people. God would send them more Koreans. And they didn't want more Koreans, but that's who God would send. Or God would send this group of people. But God sends who he sends. God sends 
from this community, from that part of this, from that you know neck of the woods, from that side of the tracks, this ethnicity, that ethnicity, this socioeconomic background. That God sends who He sends, and um, I think for us to be ready to to host that, and um, you know, as I've been saying, radical, radical hospitality, radical hospitality. That's what it's about. So let's close out here. Um, the benefits of difference and um, people movements. Some food for thought as we think about um, who we are as a core team and planting this church. 